Good morning. Good morning. My name is Shannon. I sometimes preach here. I'm uh, grateful for the time that my family and I had to get away uh, for some time together, some time alone, uh, some time with extended families, some time to be in different places the last few weeks. Uh, grateful for that time. Uh, to on Sunday mornings to be with other churches, which I highly recommend to all of you uh, when you're away from here, when you're not able to be here, when you're traveling, when you're on vacation. It's a great experience. It always is for me, and we always do this. Uh, uh, get to worship God in different contexts, different places with different communities, uh, different traditions, a chance to see and experience what other people in God's family are doing. So I want to highly recommend that to uh, all of you again. Two, two Sunday mornings ago, uh, we were with a congregation that was very different than this congregation, and uh, different in a variety of ways, no better, no worse, but just really, really different. And it was a wonderful experience because for at least a part of the service, um, uh, the uh, pastor preaches really different than I preach and than we preach. It's a, sort of an interactive thing, and uh, the preaching, the sermon, that part of the service is more of a uh, dance, more of a dialogue, more of an interaction, very interactive. And uh, I enjoyed that uh, because when we were there sitting in the pews, uh, it was a participatory event. And so I'm glad to be back here this morning, glad to be back with you, and particularly grateful for those of you who over the years have uh, interacted with me, uh, interacted with the, with the preachers here through affirmations, through amens, through whatever, as the Spirit leads you. So I want to encourage uh, that when we're dealing with God's Word, uh, God's Word is living and active, the Scriptures say, and so uh, the uh, listening to God's Word, therefore, can also be interactive. It's okay and maybe incumbent upon us even to respond. During the first 12 months of the uh, pandemic, I'm just, I, I don't think I'm ever going to forget that season. Uh, it was weird being in here, and it's like it's weird still today with most of you over here and a few of you over here. Like the weirdness goes on, we're going to get through that, but the weirdness of having a camera and no one in the pews for the better part of 12 months, and just a camera in the center aisle and a couple of us, uh, the ultimate weirdness, because the camera never talked back. <laughs> like it never said anything, it never reacted. There was no nothing, deadness. Though maybe on the other side of the camera, uh, you were, hopefully. So I'm glad we're back together. I'm glad to be done with that camera there. I'm glad to be here. I'm really grateful for uh, the five people who over the last five Sundays preached five uh, God-inspired messages from God's Word about our five core values. If you haven't had a chance, if you missed any of those, I really encourage you to go back on our website, listen to those, digest that uh, as we continue down this path of living into these five values. Uh, this morning we're going to pick up from the Gospel of Mark. Remember the Gospel of Mark? Uh, from a way back when, uh, picking up where we left off six weeks ago. Uh, before we do that, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Are you traditions people? Are you a traditions person? Do you like, love, enjoy, embrace, practice, appreciate traditions of whatever sort? In your family of origin, see the wave. All right, I'll take that as a yes. Uh, it's that kind of wave. Uh, in your family of origin, did you have traditions that were important to you, important to your parents, important to your family? And have you maybe, as an adult, 
continued some of those traditions, embraced, lived in, and really not known another way besides living in those traditions. Yes or no? And what about with regard to your faith? The practice of your faith, you're following Jesus, your life with God, are there, have there been traditions that have been important in uh, giving form and shape and parameters and definition to how you think of God, how you practice faith, how you live out your faith, how you follow Jesus? Probably for some of us, and maybe we haven't thought a lot about those. Mark will help us in a moment. Before we do that, though, let's pray together. God, we understand your book, the 66 books of the scriptures, the Old and New Testament, not to be like any other book, but to be filled with your presence, filled with your spirit, ordained by you, brought together under your, under your sovereign will as words for us, for life and faith and practice, words of truth, words that are authoritative, words that we can rely on, words that reveal you. As we open and read together, guide our minds, guide our hearts, guide our spirits. Help us to be attentive to you through your words. I pray and ask that if my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate from the truth and the reality and the goodness of your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray these things in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. Now reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Listen closely. This is God's word. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. Mark gives us those last two sentences, verses, as information because most of his audience weren't Jewish. So they didn't understand these things so clearly. Now verse, uh, oh, so uh, this hand washing is different than the hand washing that for years my mom said to me, wash your hands before we eat. Uh, different than the hand washing I as a parent have always asked my kids to do before we sit at a meal. This hand washing was not about dirt from the playground. It was not about germs. It was not about viruses like COVID. But this washing that the Jewish people practiced was strictly ceremonial, a matter of ceremonial purity as the Jews believed that in the course of a normal day, a person, for example, wandering through the streets or wandering in a market would come into contact with or proximity to people or things that would make them what they called unclean, ceremonially unclean, impure before God and in God's eyes. And so they had to go through this ceremonial washing or cleansing to be clean before God. Now verse five. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands as they do? Why don't they? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, which is a word that's taken from the theater or the world of the theater, and that means actor or pretender. 
Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written in Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. They have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And the first job of a leader is to define reality, and that's part of what Jesus, the leader Jesus, teacher Jesus, is doing here, defining reality, how things were for them in their culture among them. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And Jesus continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. A positive way of saying that and then a negative way of saying that, both from the book of Exodus. But you say, Moses said, but now you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, another explanation from Mark for his non-Jewish audience, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Jesus is getting awfully sort of prickly, pointing people. It's not just one thing Jesus says. You do lots of things like this. It's a pattern. This is the pattern or the way in which you fellas live out your faith, the way you practice your religion, the way you relate to God. And now Jesus shifts gears. Verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable, as has happened before and seems to happen regularly. Are you so dull? Jesus asked. Do you lack understanding? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? Like eating the wrong food, eating the wrong way, eating with unclean hands. For it doesn't go into their heart, not the muscle, but the seat of their emotions, their being, their spirit. For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomachs, and then out of the body, into the latrine. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Which you remember, Jesus' first-in-line disciple, Peter, his first-in-line student, apprentice, Peter, doesn't really understand until years later when in the book of Acts chapter 10, he has this vision, this revelation of things coming down, a gift from God, a, a message from God that he only understands years later even though Jesus says it right there in Mark chapter seven. We human beings, even the most advanced followers of Jesus, can be slow to understand, slow on the upkeep, slow to get on board. Verse 20, Jesus went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, Envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, all these evils come in from inside a person. And these are the things that defile a person. Not what goes in, not how something goes in. That's ridiculous. They had it all backwards. And this passage started with some Pharisees who, despite the bad rap that Pharisees sometimes get in the Gospels and so in our minds also, did have some positive traits. They were serious about their faith. 
They took their faith seriously. They were not nonchalant, and they loved the Scriptures, and they took the Scriptures seriously. Dale Bruner, a New Testament scholar, simply calls them in his translation of the Scriptures the serious ones. They were really serious. Some of us are like that. Some of us can relate. They loved the Scriptures. They took the the Scriptures and their faith seriously. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. That was his background. They were committed to doing the right thing. They were committed to protecting institutions. And this group of Pharisees and teachers of the Jewish religious law had come down from Jerusalem, the center of Jewish cultural, religious, political, and commercial life, to see what all the ruckus was about this Jesus. And this is the second time in Mark's gospel that Mark tells us that a delegation of Jewish leaders come down from Jerusalem to check out Jesus, to watch Jesus, to keep an eye on Jesus, to examine Jesus, to see for themselves what he's really doing and saying, to investigate Jesus. And these Pharisees get close enough to Jesus to talk to him, to have a conversation. And it goes like this. Why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? We Jews are supposed to wash our hands before we eat. Good, faithful, obedient, compliant, holy, upright Jews always wash their hands before they eat. What is up with your disciples? And it's as if these Pharisees and these teachers of the law didn't even see, didn't even notice, didn't even care about all the things that Jesus was doing about the healing of people who could not walk, about blind people becoming able to see, about the casting out of demons by people who had been possessed by demons for years and years, whose lives, hearts, souls had been tormented. People who didn't, they didn't seem to care about outsiders being welcomed in, about people's lives socially being redeemed relationally being restored about the kingdom of God coming into their world, into Israel, into Galilee, into life. They got close enough to see and all they could do was ask, why aren't your disciples washing their hands? They didn't see, they didn't notice, they didn't care. All they saw was Jesus' followers, his students, his apprentices, not washing their hands at the right time in the right way. They loved their traditions. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And Jewish religious culture, led by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, had other traditions. Corbin was a technical term that referred to something that a person had dedicated to God, set apart to God, for God, identified as God's, labeled as God's. It might have been akin to earmarking something, including money, and maybe particularly money, as for God. Kind of like when a person puts money into a 529 account for a child's college education. The money is still there in their account, but it becomes earmarked set aside, designated, and there are tax benefits for those funds, and those funds must be used for a child's educational purposes, or else there are penalties. In somewhat the same way, the Jews had a tradition or a scheme of designating things, for example, money, as Corban, 
And that also functioned as a way of saying, I don't have any unrestricted funds that could be used for other things. Like caring for one's parents, caring for the poor, or whatever, because I've already designated all of that, most of that, my discretionary stuff, assets, money, as Corbin. It's for God, it's to God. One day I'll give it to the temple maybe. In Jesus' day, when there was no Social Security, no disability insurance, no Medicare, no 401Ks, pensions, retirement plans, one's children, or the covenant community of God's people if a person didn't have any children, where how an older person was cared for, how their needs were met. But there was among the religious Jews a tradition of designating as Corbin which on the surface may have seemed very spiritual, obedient, noble, holy, admirable, righteous, but which in the name of God effectively deprived one's parents who in Jewish thought served as or functioned as ambassadors or representatives of God in a child's life. Deprived one's parents of care, of resources, of love, and just absolutely blatant regard for the fifth of the Ten Commandments, commandments, to honor one's father and mother. Not obey one's father and mother as adult children, but to always, always, always honor, show respect, show esteem, show value to and for and in and care for, love. Over the centuries leading up to the time of Jesus, there are developed within Jewish culture and the Jewish faith rich, rich, rich traditions. If you have any Jewish friends, you know that many or most or more than those Traditions continue to live among Jewish people today. The Jewish people have these amazingly rich traditions that many Christians do not. Handed down from generation to generation, but these traditions were never part of God's written word. They were never canon. They were never scripture. They existed apart from God's law and God's authoritative words for his people. And yet over the centuries, these traditions became elevated in daily life and practice to a place that exceeded the place of God's word in Jewish life. And the same thing can happen with us. The same thing does happen to us. The same thing happens in my life. And we have some responsibility in that, which is why Jesus said to the consternation of those listening then and now, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. You nullify the word of God by your tradition. Are you a traditions person? Do you love, love, enjoy, appreciate, embrace traditions of, of any sort? I do, we do, we have in my family, mine did, we do. And what about with regard to your faith, your following Jesus, your life with God, your living out your faith? What are the traditions that muddy our vision, occupy our time, derail us from God's word, keep us from the life God has for us? What are those traditions in your life, in my life, in the church, in our vision of a or a Christian society that keep us from seeking God's kingdom, that keep us from embracing ministry that Jesus modeled and to which he called his disciples, that keep us from caring for our elderly parents, moving them into other places, 
and the poor and the lost? What are the traditions that keep us from loving people? For example, loving all people unconditionally. I have ways of thinking about faith and Christian, Christian practice and following Jesus, doing church, being Christian that have more to do with tradition than what we see Jesus doing in the scriptures. The church has such traditions. Some are around baptism. Some are around communion. The Presbyterian church has this thing called the book of order. It's about that thick that tells us all the ways, sort of supposedly according to scripture, we're supposed to do things and not do things. And then there's a lot of that that's good. What are the... Tr- Traditions that keep us from loving people. The church has some traditions. You may have some of those traditions. There can be a lot that's good, rich. I'm sure you would agree. About the traditions the church has practiced, that we do practice, that you practice, that I practice. For sure, and don't get me wrong. uh, People in my family have loved lots of traditions. Things we've done over and over every week, every summer, every year in the same way. But when a person or when people hold on to their traditions at the expense of God's word and God's call and God's way, they are, Jesus would say, lost. They are adrift. They are missing out on God's kingdom. They are missing out on love. They are missing out on opportunities for love. They are mired in self-righteousness and empty religion. And Jesus has so much more for people, for communities, for the church, for the world. What are some obvious examples? Oh, you, you can come up with a lot of those on your own. Maybe, hopefully, thoughtfully. One of the big ones for me has always been, you know me better than that. The Christmas industrial complex, right? And nobody wants to hear it from me during Advent or December, for sure. Eh, I thought maybe it would be easier to talk about in July. We've got, a little bit more, we've got a little bit more distance from us. We're not so emotionally connected. There aren't lights up in our house right now or a tree or candles or fruitcake or whatever else. But is not, if not in the church, then in our culture, almost all of all of the effort, energy, time that we put into the Christmas industrial complex, not really about what Jesus called people to in the Gospels, what he invited his disciples to do and be about. Okay, I won't mention it again between now and Christmas, but think about the traditions that are so rich and so meaningful to us that are maybe a little bit removed from what Jesus would have us do. What Jesus did and what he modeled for his disciples and what he called them to do and be about on a regular basis. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the stranger in your midst. Love your enemies. You have clung to the traditions of men, women, people, at the expense of seeing what God is doing, at the expense of seeing lives redeemed, at the expense of your own vision of God's kingdom, at the expense of loving your parents, at the expense of understanding that it's not what we eat the keto diet or the Atkins diet or the Miami Beach diet or whatever 
vegan, vegetarian. It's not what goes into a person that makes them good, right, healthy, holy. But what comes out. How we love. How we seek God's kingdom. How we endeavor to walk in Jesus' steps. In contrast to all those ugly, messy things that Jesus says come out. We gravitate toward religion. Jesus calls us to a relationship. I have a friend of mine uh, said to me recently, and he used to be in the church years ago and is now pretty distant and critical and feels disconnected like so many people. And he said to me recently in an email exchange, I'm really spiritual not religious. I'm not so much religious, but spiritual. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think that's how God is too, actually. Right? Jesus said we worship God in spirit because God is spirit. And Jesus almost has an aversion to all of these other things that we build up. A New Testament scholar has written one of the hallmarks of Jesus' teaching was his pointed attacks on the Jewish purity system. This system was the dominant theme in the Jewish social world during his time, and it was focused on creating a world with sharp social boundaries between pure and impure, between righteous and sinner, between whole and not whole between male and female, between rich and poor, between Jew and Gentile. And Jesus deliberately replaced the core value of purity with compassion. It is to these things that Jesus calls us here. Getting outside of the things, the tracks that we get on that actually may derail us from his kingdom and paying attention to people, paying attention to his way, seeing his kingdom come because it is. Not that all traditions are bad. They aren't. There's a lot of good in traditions. Traditions can bring us back on track. They can, but they don't always. And so Jesus says, look, Watch, observe, think about what you're doing. It may be a tradition of men and women. It may seem good. It may be connected to the church. It may be in God's name. It may be Corbin. It may seem like cleanliness is next to godliness is a good thing. But is that really where God is working, where God is moving, where God is calling us? About these things, let's pray. God, I'm first in line. I love my traditions. You made me to be that kind of person. Some of us like things to be like that. They give us handles. They help us to make sense of things. They give us clear things to do. We confess that some of our traditions also serve as barriers 
for us being where you want us to be, for us doing what you call us to do, and barriers to other people approaching you. Give us discernment. Give us wisdom. Open our eyes. We don't want to be merely religious. We want to see your kingdom breaking forth in our midst, around us and among us and even through us. We confess and we acknowledge the part of our lives that is sin, that is disobedient, that does go our own way, that clings to things that are safe, things that are familiar. We confess our reluctance to take risks in faith and trust. Help us, lead us, guide us, save us. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I think it's appropriate and fitting that now we get to come to this table where the forgiveness and mercy of God are visibly tangible and physically tangible. Where all of our stuff is pushed aside for the blood of Christ who forgives. Where all of our hesitations can be healed. Where our reluctance can be redeemed. This table is a table for incomplete people, for not whole people on their own. This table is for people who know that they are sinners. That's us. That's all of us. It's a place where we can understand God's mercy and God's forgiveness, God's second chance and third chance and fourth chance. It is a reminder of God's love, God's desire to reconcile, and his initiative in that. And so the invitation to this table is not for good people, not for righteous people, not for loving people, not for holy people, not for noble people, not for people who have it all together, but for people who can acknowledge that we don't. It is a grand invitation. Join me in praying. God, through this bread that we will in a moment eat together and this juice that we will drink together in a moment, Open our eyes, help us to see, help us to follow, help us to live the life that Jesus called eternal, here and now. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth and in this place and in the church as it is in heaven. Unite us to one another and unite us to yourself again and again and again. We, we pray these things in Jesus. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread after he sanitized his hands. <laughs> and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to his disciples, this is my body that's broken for you. Do this, eat this, in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of all of your sin and sinfulness. All of it. 
forever. Drink ye all of it. And the Apostle Paul tells us that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup together in this manner, we proclaim, we announce, we declare the Lord's sanctifying and salvific death on a cross on our behalf, yes and amen, until he comes again. And he will. And he is. Thanks be to God. Our COVID way of celebrating is a little bit more complex than it used to be. Uh, but we've made amendments and changes for the safety and comfort of everyone. So like we did similarly six weeks ago when we last celebrated communion, you will be invited to come up in just a moment down the center aisle on your side and tear off, or actually bread will be torn by you, for you, by uh, someone who has sanitized their hands and put in a napkin which you can pick up right in those uh, little boxes and place it there, and then you may go to the next station and receive from another person wearing a mask whose hands have been sanitized. Juice uh, to go with that. Return to your seat and eat and drink there. If you prefer uh, packets of prepackaged bread and juice, those are in the corners, and you can go through the line to get those as well. That is gluten-free bread for those who need that. Again, this invitation is for all who recognize their need for the Lord. It is he who says, come, let's come.